This is Matthew chapter 9 and verse 20. It says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. This is five chapters later in Matthew 14 and verse 36. And besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Something began in chapter 9. Five chapters later, it's a movement. And so my subject for you today is simply is one simple word, nephanim. Nephanim. If you have a good attitude, you can sit down. I know it's not in your notes, Matthew, but if you could, find me an Oreo and put it on the screen behind me. A real Oreo. (laughs) Not vanilla Oreo. That's a real Oreo right there, okay? Not them golden make-believes. This is a real. This is the original. This is not double stuff. This is not the thin... This is not, this is the real deal right here. Trust me, I know a lot about Oreos. I'm very qualified to speak on this subject. Now my sweetheart has lost a lot of weight and she is very tiny, but her ego has become very overweight. And uh, she has gained tonnage in that ego in the last little while. So, but I guess she, she earned it. She earned it. <laughs> this is my mental model of what we're dealing with. I believe that time is the white creamy filling in the middle. And I believe that just as you have two chocolate cookies, and you got the white creamy filling in the middle. I am convinced that time is sandwiched between two eternities. I, I, uh, the sun was made on the fourth day. And that simply tells me, uh, I don't even know if we have a measurement of time before the sun was created. Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. David said in Psalms 84, a day in thy courts is better than a thousand I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is a magnificent scripture because you don't end sentences with adjectives. They criticized Winston Churchill one time because he ended a sentence with a preposition They criticized him. Winston, in his amazing wit, simply looked at them and said, 
a preposition is a wonderful thing to end a sentence with. <laughs> a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. A thousand what? Fill in the blank. There are people that say if if I could only live in that house. Hmm. One day in thy courts. I'd, I've got to go quick on this. But if you are any kind of a student of the Bible, you are aware of an Old Testament church house known as the Tabernacle of Moses. Tabernacle of Moses was, uh, technically it was a tent. It was a tent that was divided into thirds. And the front two thirds of the tent was known as the holy place. And the back third of the tent was known as the holy of holies. But the tabernacle of Moses wasn't just the tent. There was a piece of real estate that was surrounded with a white linen fence that was about 10 feet high. That fence took in a piece of real estate that not only included the tent, but the yard in front of the tent, which was known as the outer court. The outer court is where you had the big back box, altar. The altar in the tabernacle of Moses was by far the largest piece of furniture in the whole thing, which ought to teach us something. Biggest thing in your life ought to be your altar. I thank God for all the people that prayed this week around the clock. You prayed. Listen to it again. A day in thy court is better than a thousand. (laughs) You have to understand the tabernacle of Moses. The outer court. We're not talking about the holy place. We're not talking about the holy of holies. We're not talking about inside that tent when you walked in and that golden candlestick would show you where to find the table with the fresh baked bread that was stacked on a golden top. All the while, your nose being filled with this amazing aroma of someone known as the apothecary. We're not talking about the veil, the holiest of holies that, that, that houses the most curious piece of furniture the world has ever known. I'm not talking about that. The incandescence of, of the glory of God that would manifest itself between the angels known as Shekinah. Shekinah is not a Bible word. It's, it's a word that was coined by rabbis years ago to describe the brilliance of the light that, that manifests between those cherubs on top of the mercy seat. I'm talking about the courts. <laughs> 
which was the front yard of God's Old Testament house. It is the equivalent of turning off of the quinder and coming down the drive. You aren't even in the building yet. You haven't met the fit team. You haven't heard the prayers, the praise, the music, the word. You haven't met any of the believers who call this place home. You're just in the front yard of the house. David said, one day in the front yard of God's house is better than a thousand. I love the ambiguity of that verse. I love the liberty that he takes with the language. David, you can't end a sentence with an adjective. You have to have a noun. David, where's the noun? I, I know how many. I, I, I need to know how many of what? Person, place, or thing. And David confidently answers back, fill in the blank. How about a thousand presidents? How about a, a thousand high profile athletes? If you're an NBA fan, maybe you'd like to meet Steph Curry. Maybe you'd like to meet Michael Jordan. If you're a baseball fan, maybe you'd like to meet Babe Ruth. How about the great one, Wayne Gretzky? How about your favorite singer or writer? How, how about Elon Musk or Amazon's Bezos? I can go on and on. Just coming down the driveway is better than 1,000 of the most desirable people or places that you could ever meet or you could ever go to. Oh, if I could just go to Paris, I've been there. Oh, if I could just go to London, I've been there. Oh, I've always wanted to go to New York City. I've been there. And if people and places aren't what moves you, how about stuff? How about things? Do you get it? I'm not talking about one person or one place or one thing. I'm talking about a thousand presidents, a thousand athletes, a thousand Paris, a thousand Londons, a thousand of whatever thing you think would make you happy one day in the front yard of God's house is better than a thousand celebrities a thousand destinations or a thousand things that's how much of a privilege it is to go to church hallelujah we are, we are living between the eternities. But in fact, time is just a part of the entire plan. Ladies and gentlemen, God has allowed the timeless to intersect with time. No wonder Paul said, we sit with him in heavenly places. Have you ever been there in worship or prayer where you lost track of time. Albert Einstein said, I want to think the thoughts of God. I believe God's a mathematician. So they asked him, what was his definition of relativity? 
Albert said, a moment, just a moment of putting your hand on a red hot oven can seem like an eternity. But hours spent with the woman that you dearly love seems to disappear in a moment. That's relativity. When you were dating your wife and you'd laid that phone there on the pillow and you woke up two hours later, she's still talking and you got that goo (laughs) dripping down your chin. A place where time doesn't matter because you are in the presence of someone who is timeless. A Jesus who could reach into the past and tell Nathaniel, I saw you back then when you were under the fig tree. Or Paul who said, I thank Christ Jesus who counted me faithful. Think of a parade that stretches out for five miles. A parade that would take several hours for you to stand on the sidewalk as it passes. But this parade is like no other. It's the parade of your life, filled with hundreds of floats, and every float is a segment or a season of your life. The first float is your earliest memory. It goes through your adolescence and your teenage years, your mistakes, your blunders, your stupid choices. And then there is that amazing float (laughs) that shows the day he found you and you found him. And then comes your training and your ups and downs, your victories and defeats, your trials and your tests and the testimonies that you had after passing the test. And finally, you come to the end of the parade, the last float in the parade which is what you have become in him. Paul said, he counted me worthy. What he's saying is Jesus didn't look at the front of the parade. Jesus looked at the last float of my life. He saw what I was going to become and he treated me with the honor of someone who had not even yet begun to be what he knew I could be. He counts us worthy. Only a timeless savior can do that. A woman came to him one day and said, my daughter, you gotta heal my daughter. She's a Syrophoenician, she's a Greek. She's not an Israelite, she's not a Jew. Read your Bible in Acts chapter one and verse eight. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. If you know geography, Jerusalem was the capital of Judea. It's kind of like saying, first of all, I'm gonna pour out my spirit in Grand Rapids and then it's going to Michigan. I'm gonna pour out my spirit in Jerusalem and in Judea, and then it's going to Illinois, and then it's going to Indiana, and then it's going to Ohio, and it's gonna spread throughout the United States, and then it's gonna wrap around the earth. 
This is what Jesus was saying, but he didn't do it geographically. He did it demographically. He said, first of all, it's going to go to the Jews. And it did in Acts chapter 2. Because from Acts chapter 2 unto Acts chapter 7, the early Jerusalem church was all Jews. But in Acts chapter 8, it's like stepping on a fire and those coals splashed and scattered. The Bible said there was persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And everybody scattered except the apostles. The reason being that Gamaliel had rebuked the city council and said, don't you remember Judas and don't you remember Thetis of Galilee? If we fight against these men and they are of God, we're fighting God himself. But he said, if the traitor and the rebellion of Judas and Thetis years ago fizzled into nothing, if these people aren't of God, we don't have to worry about them. Leave these apostles alone. So he made them pry their fingers off of the apostles. But everybody else was open season. And that church scattered. And you come to Acts chapter 8. And you have the story of this man going down into Samaria. See, years ago, you're going to find that Assyria inhabited Israel. And the result of a union, a marriage between an Assyrian soldier and a Jewish girl was a half-breed known as a Samaritan. Orthodox Jews hated him. They, could, they considered him interracial. They considered them a, a horrible mix and mingling of the pure Jewish blood and anything else that they considered a dog. In fact, Paul one time referred to dogs and he was talking about the mutts that run in the alleys of our, of our cities. He's talking about people. But what you're going to find is that in Acts chapter 8, Philip went down and preached Christ to the Samaritans, okay? You're talking, most people believe at least 20 years past Acts chapter 2. And then you come to Acts chapter 10 when Peter had, had the vision and the dream. And all of a sudden Cornelius and all of his household are in the church. Most people believe you're dealing with a minimum of 30 years after Acts chapter 2. I'm trying to show you something. The miracle happened first to the Jew, 20 years later to the Samaritan, the half-Jew, 30 years later to anybody else who wasn't a Jew or a half-Jew, namely the Greeks, okay? This woman is a Syrophoenician. She's a Greek. There are not supposed to be any miracles given to the Greeks for another 30 years. And yet Jesus was so moved by the faith of this woman that he reached 30 years into the future of his church and grabbed a miracle and pulled it back and healed that, 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 that right there. That's a timeless God that reached in the past and touched your past that can reach in your tomorrows and bring it into today. That's the kind of God that we're serving. That something that's timeless can interact with time. Ask people who read the Bible. Ask them about giants. Almost without exception, they'll talk to you about David and Goliath. Goliath, six cubits and a span. It's accepted that a cubit is 18 inches. A span is half of a cubit. That means that Goliath was at least nine foot, eight inches tall. You say that's crazy. People can't 
grow that tall. And yet behind me is a picture of Robert Wadlow, who in 1940 was nine foot one inches tall. In fact, when the 12 spies searched the land of Canaan, they returned and said, we saw giants. We saw giants, the sons of Anak. We were in their sight like grasshoppers. In his last message, Deuteronomy is the last message of Moses before he dies. You think I preach long. Moses preached for 34 chapters. In his last message before he left, Moses talks about an intimidating people that also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt therein in old time. The Ammonites called them Zamzumans. Other translations simply refer to them as barbarians. The book of Joshua talks about that when they went into the land of Canaan, they ended up in a place called the Valley of the Giants. In fact, the last king to be conquered before they left the wilderness and went into the land of Canaan was a curious fellow by the name of Og, king of Bashan. He is repeatedly mentioned in the Bible, but Deuteronomy chapter three, Moses gives us something very specific. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. His bedstead was a bedstead of iron. Is it not in Rabbath of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and fewer, four cubits the breadth of it after the cubit of a man. In other words, this guy has a bed that's 13 feet long and six feet wide. There are more giants in the Bible than simply Goliath. There are lots of them, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, Goliath had at least four sons because in 2 Samuel 21 and verse 22, it refers these four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hands of his servant. But that's verse 22. I start in verse 16. And it's Bibinod, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. He being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. And then the men of David swear unto him saying, Thou shalt go no more with us out to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. After, and it came to pass after this, that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob, and then Sibashai, the Hushathite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. Again, there was a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where someone named Elhanan, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, who the spear was like a weaver's beam. There was yet a battle in Gath where there was a man of great stature. Listen to this, that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, 24 in number. He was also born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. It's Ishbibinab, David's now an old man. 
And all of a sudden, this big sucker comes out into the battlefield and David, it's like, what, what, what? It's, it's, it's deja vu all over again. And he just straps on his stuff and goes out there. And all of a sudden, they say, man, you can't do this. And they ran and protected their king and killed this Goliath, this, this son of Goliath, rather. And they said, we don't want the light of Israel to go out. We can't afford to lose our king. And then a young man, you, you got Saf, uh, another giant. On and on I can go. You, 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 the, the, this, this, these guys are amazing. They're, this one, we don't even have a name for this guy. He's got 24 fingers and toes. But what I do know is who killed him. Who killed him. It's very clear that his nephew killed this nameless six-fingered, six-toed giant from his brother whose name was Shimea. Do you remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house to find a king and they lined up all them good-looking boys in front of that prophet? And Samuel looked at one and he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Holy Ghost spoke to him and said, he doesn't even know that I've already rejected him. Next. And he went down the line. There's got to be another one. Well, we got a 14-year-old kid watching the sheep on the back 40. Will you go get him? And all of a sudden, this pimply-faced, ruddy-faced kid showed up. And soon as he come into the courtyard of the farm, Samuel knew instantly, this is the kid. This is the next king of Israel. Do you have any idea what that did to those other brothers that were standing there? You talk about sibling rivalry. You talk about jealousy. You talk about, you, you read it when, when years later, David's daddy sent him to the battle and his two brothers were there. And, and, and this is what it says. He gave him some bread and he gave him some cheese and he gave him some honey. And the reason he gave him some honey is he knew what attitude them older brothers was going to have and he, he sent some to help sweeten the deal. But them boys said, what are you doing here? And all of a sudden he said, who in the world is that son's circumcised Thursday? Would you shut up and get back with them few sheep that you're supposed to be responsible for? But as you know, this is when David slew Goliath. I'm trying to set a stage and a picture here for you. These brothers should have remained jealous. They should have remained just, just a horrible spirit of, of turf war. And, and, and that, that should have, but, 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 but no, it is obvious to me that one of his brothers, whose name was Shibia, Shimia, refused to carry on that old jealous spirit from the boys years ago, but obviously put something in his son to respect the king and to respect David. And it was actually his nephew that killed this nameless giant. Look at Saul's dynasty. He had all kinds of boys, but there's not one giant killer in the lineage of Saul, but David produced four, four giant killers, four giant killers. On and on I can go. Giants, they had them, we have them now. In fact, Paul said everything that happened to them is an example for us. We are dealing with these things today. Have to understand, not by my might, not by my power, but by your spirit. That the word of the Lord said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Study the story of Abraham's nephew Lot 
And in Genesis chapter 12, it said he pitched his tent towards Sodom, 12 and 13. And in, in one chapter later, it says he dwelt in Sodom. When you come to Genesis chapter 19, it says, and Lot sat at the gate in Sodom. This is very important because one of the apostles, the original 12 that Jesus chose was a guy by the name of Matthew who worked for the IRS. Listen to what it says in the New Testament. And Matthew sat at the receipt of custom by the gate because these are walled cities and they've got these gates. They ingress and egress. Even back then, the IRS would find you because sooner or later you had to come in or go out through that gate. What I'm trying to show you is the gate is very valuable pieces of real estate and only the movers and the shakers and the people that drive chain are the ones that are able to linger and loiter around the gate. But the Bible said the gates, the gates of hell. In other words, the very best that Satan's got when it's thrown at the church is not gonna be able to overwhelm and overcome the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We were just given an award for the largest missions giving in the new district. Nathan's here. He was the missions man in the old district. He'll tell you we were the largest foreign missions giver back then. He would call me and say, Brother Hoffman, do you want this plaque or not? I said, nah. He said, I never thought so. I already threw it away. <laughs> because he knew I wasn't about plaques. I wasn't about an award in category G. My deal was, let's get the job done. Let's get the job done. Let's touch the loss. Let's do something for the Lord. For years, we have been a supporter of the work in Paraguay. I had a pastor ridicule me not long ago on a trip. Why in the world does your church give so much money away? Don't you understand? That's your city. You're responsible for your city. I don't give anything to missions. All the money that we take into this church goes into this city. That, that, I, you, 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 there's local and there's global, ladies and gentlemen. We just can't afford to take everything that comes in this church and keep it in our own backyard because the command was preach the gospel to the whole world. I'm sorry, I can't be two places at once. But he can replicate himself through various ministries and that's what we're all about. My oldest ministry friend is Joseph Burr. I met Joseph when I was 18 in a Bible school in Houston, Texas. I wish I could tell you his testimony. It's one of the greatest testimonies I've ever personally ever heard or ever seen. <laughs> he would sit there and he'd look at these maps. And I'd say, Burr, what in the name of God is it with you and that atlas? Why do you keep looking at them stupid maps? And he looked at me years ago and said, I'm going to be a missionary to South America one day, Harold. You've got to understand, this is, this, is a, this, is a kid that, this is a kid that was molested by his pastor. This is a kid whose, whose friends committed suicide because of the horrendous abuse they suffered from a man that was supposed to be watching out for their soul. This is a kid whose brother blew his leg off with a shotgun when he was 13 years old. 
And yet God miraculously, he doesn't have any connective tissue in his knee, but he still walks without a limp. Lady was a nurse. Gave him a Bible every day while he was in the hospital. Didn't know his dad. His mom never ever came for the three months he was in the hospital. Nobody came except this nurse. And she would put this Bible on his bed and he would pick that Bible back and throw it at that nurse and cuss her out. Don't you ever blankety blankety blank put that blankety blackly bank thing here on and he said it was horrible what I said, Brother Hoffman. He said, when they finally let me go, I had a little bag. He said, I had to get a taxi because my mom didn't even think enough to come and get me out of the hospital. He said, when I zipped that little bag open there, on the top of my few belongings was that Bible. And that nurse had saw fit to put it in that bag. He said, I picked up that Bible and said, Jesus, I'm going to lay this Bible on my leg. And I'm going to take this cast off. And if I can't walk, you're the biggest son of a blankety blank liar, phony there's ever been. But if you heal me right now, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And he took that Bible of cast off and put that Bible and prayed. And he's walked ever since. <laughs> only, only to go into a quote unquote spirit filled church where the pastor was a pedophile and molested this kid who had no daddy in his life. All he wanted was to be loved. I'm telling you, Satan has always had a fixation on children and he still has a fixation on children. Bible said you hurt one of them little ones, I'm gonna wrap a stone around your neck and bury you in a nameless grave in the sea. Here, I didn't hurt him, I didn't hurt him. I've just dealt with too many spirits of kids that have been run through shredders and you're trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again after being assaulted and molested by someone that they trusted and that they, they thought loved him. Out of that morass and that mess, he ended up coming straight to Bible school, testifying in front of the district board against his own pastor. It was horrible. And all of a sudden, he gets out of Bible school, wants to be a missionary, and they said, you've never pastored. You need to pastor for a while, and then he come back. So he went and built a church from nothing in Texas. Came back four years later with his amazing wife, Loretta. Okay, he was approved. He starts traveling. He ends up in a great church in Pensacola, Florida, pastored by a man named Paul Welch, who had sat on the Florida district board for many, many, many years. And he said, where, where were you from, son? And he told him the place in Florida where he had gone to church. And he said, you know, years ago, there was a boy that testified in front of the Florida District Board about his pedophile pastor. And Joseph said, that was me, Brother Welch. And he said, my God, son, how did you ever survive? He said, because of a little Bible that some nurse put in my bag. He remembered her name. I don't remember the name, but he told Brother Welch her name. But that night when my friend Joseph went to preach at Pensacola, Brother Welch said, I got a present for you, Joseph. And he mentions this lady, said, would you come up here? 
And coming down that middle aisle was that nurse who put that Bible in his bag all of those years ago. (laughs) That's why I believe in Joseph. It's why I believe in Loretta. And they go to Asuncion in Paraguay. Because in Paraguay, only the boys go to school. Girls don't get to go to school. But Loretta was always valedictorian of whatever she was. Magna cum laude, it didn't matter. Whether it was high school or college, she was always the very best. She had a burden and knew that education was their ticket out of that poverty and started a school. And we partnered with them in the very first year because the government said, if you'll build the building, we'll pay for the lunches and we'll pay for the books and we'll help subsidize your teachers and everything thing was great until two weeks before the school started and there was a regime change and the new president of Paraguay said I didn't make that promise I'm not giving you a dime but this church and others banded together and we made sure school started on time they started with a small knot of kids but now because of what you just did two weeks ago along with that now they can house 500 students there's a three-year waiting list for kids to come into that school Three, three years. And now the parents of the boys are asking, can our boys come to your school? Because you've got the best scores in all of the country. You've given and given. And people that say that's crazy. But two months ago, my oldest ministry friend led 200 pastors and their entire congregations into the fellowship, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. 7,000 people. You've got an inheritance in that. You're playing a role in that. That looked impossible. That was a giant, but he's dead. Jesus name. I get so sick and tired. People, I was raised in a church. I had a great pastor. I'm not knocking my pastor. I had a wonderful pastor. But I was surrounded with people who were marooned on their own little self-righteous Pentecostal island. I remember knocking doors. I was just a kid, but we'd knock doors. I remember knocking doors with an older man in that church. Knocked the door. Someone came to the door and he said, "Uh, I bet you wouldn't want to come to my church, would you? And that was what came out. Even as a kid, I knew. Wrong thing to say, Bob. Wrong thing to say. The Bible said in the book of Acts, they had favor with all the people. They were not just maroon. Go talk. I wish we had time to let Brother Hayes, he'll come back later, tell how God's given him favor with the leadership in the city of Dearborn. The Bible said your steps are ordered. Your times are in his hands. Don't you see what's going on here? I'm sick and tired of people saying, you you ever hear that verse? The children in this generation are wiser than the children of light. See there, worldly businessmen are much smarter than Pentecostals are. That's not what that means. That's not what it means. You read the story. All of a sudden there's a man that's responsible for his master's lands and possessions. And he knows, he knows he's about to lose his job. And so when the men come, he said, all right, uh, you're, 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 you're taking 50 barrels of oil. I'm going to credit you with 100 barrels of oil. And you're bringing us three wagons of grain. I'm going to credit you with five wagons of grain. He's feathering his nest because he knows he's got to have career opportunities after the master fires him for being the cheat and the bum that he was. And so when the master comes back and he looks at the books and he realizes how much of a rat his, his, his overseer 
has been. That's when this verse is used. The children in this generation are wiser than the children of light. And what Jesus was saying and what the master was saying, by the world standards, you did a good job. You cheated and you lied and you feathered your nest and you did everything you could to ensure that you have another opportunity waiting for you next week. But he said, this is not my kingdom. This is not the way I do business. I am in a totally different, my ways are your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. Don't buy into this stuff that the world, our kids are just as smart as any of them. Say we're gifted. Oh, here he goes again. Talking about that. I'll tell you what the Bible says. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift. I am a gifted man. You are a gifted woman. You're a gifted young man. You're a gifted young lady. We have a God-given gift. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. This world is not smarter than the church. In fact, we have a godly gift that they have, do not have access to. So I don't care what industrial light and magic does. I don't care what Microsoft does. I don't care what Tesla and Bezos and all the Tesla, you, you've got Bezos and, 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 and you've got Musk and, you, and you've got Richard Branson. You know about, the, 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 he, what are they, they're trying to pe- get people to heaven without Jesus. That's what they're trying to do, okay? You've got to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. We, for we, we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We have been plopped down right in the middle. With, this is not the, the middle of the eternities. We're way to the far right. We're coming down to the end, not the end of time, but the end of an age. The Bible says something very powerful. If you want to understand, listen to Isaiah chapter 46. I am God and there is none else. I am God and there's none like unto me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying I'll do all my counsel and my purpose will stand. If you want to be a, understand the end, you have to be a student of the beginning. And I'm telling you when you read that Bible, it's very clear that we are living in, is there any prophecy yet to be fulfilled before the coming of the Lord? I don't, I don't know of anything. All that's going on right now is just a repetition of something that occurred again and again and again. It's like, don't you understand that when Noah and his family went on that boat, God didn't shut the door when Noah's family in that boat, when Noah's family went in the ark, the Bible said the door stayed open for seven days. Why? We are living in those days of extreme mercy when the church is already on the boat, ready to go, and the Lord's left the door open for just a little while longer, trying to get a few more people on the boat in the church. This is what it says. This is the first mention in the Bible. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and the same became mighty men, men of renown. They were known as the Nephinim. The Nephinim. Because most people, the only time they think about giants is bad guys, booger bears, enemies, the guy on the grassy knoll the thing that goes bump in the night. But that's not the first mention of giant in the Bible. In the beginning, it said there was a union between something godly, and all of a sudden they created giants, people of renown, 
not just of reputation, but just brilliant people. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. The woman crawled through the crowd. I don't care if you've got to get above them or crawl beneath them, but I'm telling you, people are going to stand between you and your destiny. You're going to have to figure out a way to get around, to get above them or get through them because they're always going to block your way to the miraculous. And that woman grabs the hem of his garment. This is what it says in the book of Malachi. It says the son of righteous, but it's not little s, it's capital S. The son of, that's talking about Jesus Christ. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The English word wing is the Hebrew word kanaf which can also be translated edges or borders of the garment. In other words, this prophecy is saying, this is how you're going to know he's Messiah. He's going to have healing in the edges of his clothes. And that woman, I don't even know if she knew that verse or not, but she grabbed the hem of his garment. Bam! She's instantly made whole. Hemorrhaging for years, he takes away the shame. And he said, who touched me? And they said, oh, come on, Jesus is okay. He said, no, 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 there's a touch. And then, then there's, a, there's, that other, there's a touch. This woman sucked. She didn't take healing out of him. She took virtue out of him. You know what virtue means? Pure. They call it holiness in most Pentecostal churches. We don't call that here. It's righteous living. Modesty. If I could prove to you biblically that living clean had healing power in it, would you do it then? Would you do it then? Is it possible that we could just witness just by being there? Virtue left me. Who touched me? I did, sir. Hi, daughter. How you doing? Wait a minute. I don't care what, 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 what that Da Vinci Code says. Jesus didn't marry Mary Magdalene. How in the world could he call her daughter? Because that's what he calls every woman. Every woman is his daughter. Every man is his son. Five chapters later. Let's grab the bottom of his clothes. He don't have to touch me with his hand. It's just somebody... He's only got two hands, you know. You can only touch two people at once. How many people can grab the bottom of that garment? A lot more than two. He just said, you don't need to touch us, Jesus. We'll touch you. You get what I'm saying? This woman began a new ministry in chapter 9 of Matthew. And by chapter 14, bunches of people are doing it. So to you that are in this room right now, who are the people in this room right now that are going to birth the new ministry? Who are the people in this room right now that are going to give life to something that's been sitting in mothballs in the word for years and nobody ever thought to do it? But if you can take a step of faith, Talisha did that several years ago. Talisha was molested when she was a young girl. You hear her testimony and she don't pull any punches. But she said, Pastor, I got a burden for something called heart. I said, heart. It stands for healing the effects of abortion-related trauma. Yeah. 
And so now it's been translated into three different languages. Now we're partnered with Grace Centered of Hope. I can go on and on, but I gotta be careful how I word this. I just watched a woman in this church give birth to a brand new ministry that no one had ever thought of before. And now it's starting to So, so it, it doesn't surprise me that Ryan writes songs. It doesn't surprise me. These precious ladies are going to the other service. They're going to first praise downtown. It's not because I preached too long, was it, Esther? Stand. It's time. It's enough. I'm not trying to make you arrogant. I don't want you to be proud. Because God resists pride, but he gives grace to humble people. I don't want you to be arrogant. I want you to be confident that if you come before your God, just praying doesn't work, ladies and gentlemen. I've heard people say for years, iron sharpens iron. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I, I, I got a wood shop. I'm going to tell you how you sharpen iron. You use iron to sharpen iron. It's just one piece of iron is going to be a lot harder than the other piece. You're going to have a file to sharpen iron. Because if you've got two people of the same strength and the same intensity, you're just going to create friction. But if you've got something that's a little bit harder and a little bit stronger than you, Jesus' name. working on this for months. This is it. This is put up or shut up time. We either belly up to the bar. I believe that today will be the largest cash offering in the history of the United Pentecostal Church. In a local church. Not general conference, but in a local church setting. I believe this is going to be the largest offering in the history of this movement. I believe that first church is going to be first. Just for a little while. Because in just a little while, someone's going to surpass us, and they should. But we're going to raise the bar here today. And before you leave here today, you're going to see the greatness, amen, of a group of people who buy into a dream and turn it into reality. Lord Jesus, you have been gracious and kind to us. We are nobody from nowhere, but we hitched our wagon to a star when we found you we are so grateful God that we have the privilege to partner with something eternal we are so grateful God that people that are now limited by time are locked into something timeless we're sitting in a heavenly place right now going to do something right now Lord that's going to affect the eternal destination of thousands of Years from now, a host is going to rise and call these people blessed because they have the burden and they have the vision to do something that would bring glory to their king in this community. Holy God, I have no doubt that you will bless them as they give. I ask that you would give us the wisdom to spend it properly and that we would put it in the place where it will give you the best return. Help us to find the best builders the best contractors. Help us and steer us away from the thieves. Steer us away, Lord, from those who would squander 
this sacrificial money that's being given to build a new temple in this city. We bring this before you, Lord, with a grateful and a happy heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you as you come. We believe every single word Stronger than we've ever been We are standing on His promises see what we're praying for We believe every single word Stronger than we've ever been, we are standing on His Sure.
we believe and we receive the supernatural for this church, for this nation, for our families. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We're going to see something happen in this house, but we're going to keep worshiping for a little while.
because everyone that walked in said you must be the couple from Wisconsin they all knew we were coming so finally everything settled down Pastor Hoffman introduced himself very very nice man then they started service songs, drums, piano, tambourines clapping, singing, hands up wow did they have the enthusiasm we were a little nervous, just getting done meeting so many people. Didn't really know what to say. After the service was coming to an end, the pastor asked Jeff if he'd like to say anything. I said, oh no. We stopped breathing. Well, Jeff painfully got up and told a bit about our trip and sat down. I breathed a sigh of relief really couldn't believe it when the pastor then asked me to stand up and tell everyone about our church experience. I thought, when is this guy going to let us melt into the woodwork a bit? I was in the mood just to not be noticed. So much for that strategy. I got up and told them, <laughs> we had gotten the Holy Ghost. Jeff was baptized. You know the story. You gotta understand, Valerie's mom just died. And Valerie and Jeff went to help clean out some of her mother's things. And in her mother's precious box was this letter dated September 22nd, 1988. This is when Jeff and Valerie Woodworth first attended this church for the very first time. The pastor talked some more. It was prayer time. I figured, what the heck? Everyone knows us here now. So we went up and got refilled with the Holy Ghost again. Everyone prayed. Then they all asked us out for dinner. 
the youth group, the pastor, a nice young couple, Bible study teacher, all asked us to eat afterward. We didn't bring any money, so we politely said it was Jeff's first day of work. We had some things to do, but we sat around and talked for 20 more minutes. But then we said, we're going to have coffee with them. Bible study teacher, listen to this. I heard my Jeff telling the Bible teacher, Val's worried about her hair. She's afraid I'm going to think she's ugly. But I told her that I'd love her any way the Lord wanted her. You can imagine my surprise, the little rat. I kicked him underneath the table. But mom, I guess it's a start. We feel great. I love you, Valerie. <laughs> wow. You ready, Matthew? Ladies and gentlemen, no one's ever done this before. Go ahead and put it up there.
Now one more time, let's shout for the victory. Let's shout for the victory. Come on, we've been praying and we've been fasting and we've been sowing and you've been sacrificing and now it's time to receive the miracle that is before our eyes we thank you jesus message this morning was all too often when we think of the narrative of giants it's been the opposition but take a look around this room we are standing amongst giants take a look around we are standing amongst giants you can see it when you leave this piece of property I want you to look to your right the day is coming where I don't know that we have to wait three years I don't think we're going to have to wait three years I think what we're going to do in this city is going to come much quicker God is going to pour it back into this city because there was a group of believers that gathered today this morning that dared to dream that there's somebody out there that needs the experience that's in this room, that needs to feel who Jesus Christ is, that needs the saving power, that needs the grace, that needs some more mercy. That is because of what we have done this morning. There will be a ripple effect that will be felt in this city, in this nation, as a result of some giants that stood up this morning. I don't even want to leave the room. I don't want anybody, nothing to mess me up. I'm telling you, there's something powerful in this room. When we look at what we can do as a body of believers, why don't we thank him one more time in celebration before we leave this house. Lord, where would I be? Where would we be without your hand over us, the favor? the giants that you have put in close proximity to this city. Lord, I am so grateful, God. I believe you have trusted us for such a time as this. Thank you so much for coming here today. To every guest, I encourage you to come back. Spend some time with us. Catch the vision of the house. You'll hear the words, let's imagine, often. Because what we're doing is we're imagining a facility that can really house what we can do for this city. This isn't about us. 
This is for you. This is for your family. This is for this city and our surrounding communities. And so I ask you, if this is your first time, come back, spend some time with us. If you can at all, let's continue the celebration of our night at Monday Night Prayer. Maybe we'll just turn this into a, a Thanksgiving night tomorrow night. I say we prepare and get the right music for tomorrow night, and we're just going to celebrate. We'll put this number back up tomorrow night, and we're just going to turn it into a worship night. We're just going to be praying and thanksgiving, believing for what God is continuing to do in this house. Build your church. We'll see you tomorrow night. Please sign up for a life group. You can do that.